Welcome, everybody. My name is John Keeler. Glad to have you here worshiping with us. And if, if, uh, if you've been here before, you know that at Grace Community Church, we're all about discipleship. And I know you've seen this slide before, but I wanted to show it again. Um, I wanted to put up our, our um, discipleship process slide and so that we can look at um, the, the fourth. There you go. <laughs> there. All right. So I wanted to have everybody look with me at the fourth component, disciple. All right, we, we, we've talked about uh, the others before, but this is where we get to teach you about the Word of God, all right, so that you can become more and more effective as disciple makers, because the more we grow in, an un, in our understanding of Scripture, the more we can work out the discipleship process with others. And, and really where this starts, so the beginning of understanding is reverence, right, having a reverence for the Word of God. And that might not be a word we use that often, right, anymore, but having a reverence, seeing the book of the Bible, to see it as more than just any old book, right, because of who the author is. And because of the author of the words of the Bible, to also not choose what we want to understand and what we want to believe, right? So it's having this reverence for the Word of God and really, um, I, I don't know how many of you, I mean, I, I guess when I was growing up, how many of you can remember a time when we used to revere the Word of God in America, right? You know, several generations back, maybe, we used to be a people of the book. Um, you know, even though we have the book still, we, we are definitely not a people of the book anymore, right? If you had to give a, a, a report card to our country on reverence for the word, I think, you know, our, our grade would be failing. And, and you know, it, it, I, I said it last week, you know, the disappointing statistic that only 32% of Christians, you know, so, you know, less than one-third of you in this room read your Bible every day, according to statistics. But, you know, over this week when, when I was preparing I came across an even more staggering statistic to me. So Barna did um, some research. They're, they're a great uh, you know, resource for statistics. Um, and they found that 9% of born-again Christians, 9% of born-again Christians hold to a biblical worldview. Did, did you hear that? 9% of the people who say that they are saved have consistent beliefs with the Bible. I, I don't know about you, but that kind of was staggering. 91% of Christians, uh, you know, contradict the, the creator that made them. And, the, and yet they acknowledge he exists. So I, that to me was, was troubling. I, I hope you know, that would be for you as well. And there's many different problems. We talked about last week, you know, there's a lack of desire for the word and so on. And, and what I just said, though, one of the core problems is a lack of reverence for the word of God. Right? And you've seen it. You've seen the trend, the reverence for what we have. And part of that problem, though, is a little simpler than you might believe. That same study, this was an interesting find, is that same study said that 
that part of the problem that there's a lack of knowledge and acceptance of the Word of God is because fewer and fewer Christians are carrying it. They don't, they don't carry it anymore. And, and what's interesting is, you know, it was, it was shocking to me, but, you know, there's so much convenience now, we don't actually carry the Word of God. And as much as a phone can be very convenient to replace the big camera you used to carry and your, your you know, Franklin Covey planner, and it can replace your whole life, right? Right? But not this. Not this. Now... I'm going to get into that, and, and you might disagree, and I hope by the end of this, we'll see eye to eye. But um, I remember this, this, uh, this pastor kind of charging up, and this was, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. So this was before even really the proliferation of, like, device-only Bibles for people, you know. And so he's, he's challenging, you know, us, and, and I was a little skeptical. You know, you got to be a little skeptical right? You got to listen, you know, and, and test, you know, it says the Bereans even tested what Paul said, so test me. And, and I did the same for this pastor, and, and he said, you, you got to bring your Bible with you wherever you go, your physical Bible. And, and he had some really good points, and, and I, I, I tried to trigger my brain, and I remembered generally, and this is important because it was an impactful sermon, it, he said, it helps you read it, Remember it and relay it. And that was, that was pretty good. Three R's, that's part of the learning process. Now, I definitely, at the time, used the device a lot. I definitely, you know, brought my Bible to church or whatever. But um, he challenged me a little bit on my thinking. And, and I want to challenge you just to get us started. And then we'll, we'll get into the message. The first point, carrying your Bible, right, will help you read it. Did you know that? Right? Of course. You know, I, I remember this challenge, and I was like, okay, this, one, this one's simple enough. So I started actually taking my Bible to work, and I would sit it there on my desk. And at lunch, this guy right here, this Bible, was staring me at the face, in the face. And, and so it's a little harder like, to forget to read your Bible when it's right in front of you than when it's in you know, your pocket. And so, I mean, that was an easy one to me when I was on, the, on a plane. I'd take it with me, you know, and, and it's in that bag, and it's kind of like a little awkward to get in next to my laptop. But when I got my laptop out, I thought, well, am I, am I reading my Bible too? And, and, and so it, it was a very, very easy fix, right? And we, we have that at home. We have, like, our Bible and our devotions on the kitchen table. And it is a bit of a pain sometimes, and we always have to move it when people come over. But we keep it there. We keep it there all the time, every day. You know why? Because we're more likely to have devotions as a family when we see it there staring at us, laughing at us for eating our food, you know, too quickly. And we're like, okay, time to have, time to have devotions. So get into the habit. Take it with you wherever you go. The other part, it's an interesting one, okay, is this was the one I was most skeptical about. I used to use my iPad, I'd have a device, I'd have all these little, you know, uh, Bible app and um, logos and all this stuff, and, you know, yeah, of course, that's going to make me more efficient in my quiet time. And it does, in a sense, but this, this challenge was around how many um, pop-ups, you know, do you get on this thing? 
how many emails um, or calendar reminders or go on and on. And, and I, I originally didn't take the challenge until that week because I kind of laughed at this guy. And the Lord revealed to me over and over again, I kept, I was in my iPad on the Bible and then I was like, oh, I have a meeting tomorrow and I don't know. And so then I'd go on my email and send an email. Okay, now I'm back to it. And so many times I'd be distracted. So a half an hour devotions is like five minutes in the word and like 25 minutes of catching up on work. So that's kind of not, not the point. So another, you know, another win for this, uh, this pastor friend of mine. And the, the last one, relay it. And no, I won't be done after I tell you his three points. I've got two of my own. So the last one was take it with you to work. Take it with you on the plane to Starbucks. Even if you might not have a chance to read it, just take it with you. Because how many people do you run into at work who are unbelievers? Do you have, does everybody here basically have an unbeliever at their work? I think I might be one of the only ones that's, that gets to say no. But otherwise, you do. So uh, how many of those people might have a problem? I mean, I, I found really early in, in the business world, everybody's got a problem. Even Christians have problems. We all have problems, and we're walking in with them every day. And so who are they most likely to come to if they need help? A person on their phone or someone that has this Bible. Do you think that would make a difference? I, I, I found it did. And so when I took that challenge and I accepted it, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. I, there's nothing wrong with you. Can, we can all, I, I believe every single person probably in this room can bring their Bible to work. Or school. I think so. I don't know if there's any place where this thing is illegal. Maybe you tell me if, if I'm wrong. But when you bring it, I remember finding that people would come to me for prayer. They'd come to me for spiritual conversations. They might not have known why I carried it, but this definitely is a signal. People still know what a Bible looks like. Did you know that? In this country, Everyone still knows what a Bible looks like, but I bet you they can't see you if you're on your Bible app at, at work. It, it, you know, it's, it's sending a signal. I want to talk. I want to share. And it's important that we do that, that we have it wherever we go. So, so take the Bible revival challenge that he gave me and, and really start to think about, you know, am I, am I putting my faith out there? Am I showing that I believe what, you know, what I truly believe? And What's interesting is, is, you know, this isn't, he wasn't the first person to give that challenge. Back in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20, God gave his people that same Bible revival challenge. He said, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. You know, God wanted his people to revere and honor his word. He wanted them to have it with them wherever they were. Because he knew that that reverence for, for his word would lead to understanding and application. 
And so we're going to get into that in a little bit here today. Because in Nehemiah 8, what I want to show you is how reverence for the word leads to understanding of the word. And again, coming back to the beginning, that is at the heart of our discipleship process. That's what we're trying to do here. So last week, we looked a little bit about you know, how the people came together. They, they included their youth. There were thousands of people uh, outside the water gate. Um, and Ezra was told by the people, we want to hear the word of God. We want to hear it preached. And so they started, they kicked off this week-long sermon series, six hours every day in the word. And the people listened attentively. And that is what kicked off this revival that we're going to see throughout chapter 8 and beyond. And it's interesting because two of the components, as I mentioned, are what we're going to look at today. One of which is a proper reverence for the word, was what fueled that, that revival. It's what really gave it strength. And so in Nehemiah 8.5, it says, Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. So we start off, it says that Ezra opened the book. So, you know, I get up here and I open the book, right? But what I want to show you on this next slide, obviously, is that they didn't have a book like we did, but it was more of like a scroll. Um, this probably is a lot of what it looks like. You know, and so in those days, they revered this law of the Lord, right? Just like we do our Bible. <clears throat> and there was likely only one copy at the time, many scholars believe, and it would have to be read to them. And as I said last week, you know, here are these, these you know, Jews returning from, from captivity. Many of them have never heard the word of God. So they're gathering together to do this. And it says that you know, Ezra was, was, could be seen by everyone. And, and, and in verse 4, right before verse 5, it says that he was up on a high wooden platform. So he was you know, kind of standing up above the people. And they had, they had prepared for this occasion. They built this platform you know, they, they got everything ready. They didn't want anything to get in the way. They wanted to be able to hear the word of God and make it a priority. And they wanted to worship together. You know, because worship is, it takes many forms. Singing, reading the word together, confession, everything together. How about you? How about you? Do you make it a priority to worship together here? And I think, you know, when we look across the seats and we think year, you know, month over month of, of who's coming and who's going, you know, and, and many uh, statistics will show you that like, you know, you take the number of people you have on Sunday times 3.5 and that is the number of people who will tell you that this is their home church. Isn't that crazy? Like we're a church of a thousand people, but you know, it's not really a thousand people that are coming every week. You know, do you make it a priority to show up? And, and I think about the reverence and respect we have for other people in our lives. You know, do we make it a priority to come on time? I know that our, our, our doctors get a higher priority than, than we do. And if you're a doctor in this office or in this, in this room, you'll be appreciative of that. But, you know, I think of how many appointments we'll keep, you know, how many sports events we'll get to ahead of time. If the coach said the game starts at 11.30, you better believe I had Joseph at his basketball game 11.25, right? So, you know, we can do it, 
but, you know, a lot of times we don't prioritize uh, this time of worship as much. But we, you know, it's important as part of our discipleship process that corporate worship is very much an integral part to our growth. Did you know that? And, and I think of, of the verse um, where Hebrews 10.25, it says, do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. We're not supposed to forsake meeting here together. It's an important part of growing. You cannot grow alone. And we learned this during COVID. Worshiping online is not the same as worshiping in person, right? And, and I have had so many people, in fact, I, you know, I, get, I got an email at uh, an early part of the morning, and, and I actually responded very early this morning, but a, a gentleman who isn't even able to come physically, and we have people who would love to be in your seat. They would love to trade places with you. So, you know, we have to make it more of a priority than once a month, right? Because there are people who would love to worship here, and we need to be in fellowship with each other as we worship. And slide, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 5 also said that when he opened the book, everyone stood up. Everyone stood up. It was customary back then, and, and we'll read uh, later in, ver in uh, chapter 9, that people would stand at the reading of Scripture. And that happens in some synagogues today. But in Nehemiah 9.3, it said that they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. They were in the habit of, of getting together and reading the word for extended periods of time. And when they did that, they stood up. When, you know, back then, when you were in the presence of somebody you know, important or respected, you, you stood up. You, you gave them respect. And so they were standing for the word of God. They had respect for it. You know, and, while, and, and actually what's interesting is they stood the whole time. I know there's probably breaks, but um, they stood while the word was, was being read. And it might not be you know, customary for us to do that. I've, you know, I, don't, I have been in a few services where you stand when, when the Bible's re, uh, read. But... What's most important is do we see the word of God as something we respect, revere, and is it something that we obey and we believe? You know, I mentioned before, only 9% of people have a biblically consistent worldview, right? And so, you know, how can we truly love God when we're telling him, I don't believe you? That's what we're saying when we don't have a biblically uh, correct worldview. It's say, I don't believe what you've written here. And, and that's a problem. And, you know, what I mentioned before, it, it's, it's because we're lacking focus on the word of God. We're taking our eyes off of it. And, it, and as I mentioned before, out of sight, out of mind, it's happening more and more. And, and again, just... You know, from a standpoint of coming to church, we, we don't necessarily bring our Bible to church anymore either. And, and you know, I use my device, as I said, all the time, and, and there's, a, there's a time and a place for it. But think of a few points here about why we at least need to bring our Bible to church. And hopefully, I'll convince you. <laughs> and next week, we'll see everyone with a Bible. But the first thing is the example we're setting to our youth. The example we're setting to our youth. Think about it. 
if they don't see us bring our Bible, and, and, and get me right, I, you know, you could be one of the most diligent people out there reading everything I say, you know, and, and scrolling and looking different texts. That's great. But if they don't see us with a Bible, they don't know if we remembered to bring our Bible. They don't know if we're reading our Bible or have any priority of it in our lives, it, it, even at church. And what's interesting is the first time God gave the same Bible challenge to his people, it was back in Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. There's a section before that, actually, that, that he says about, you know, take it with you wherever you go, walk, you know, wherever you walk on your, on your doorpost. Then there's the section that explains why. And in verse 20, it kicks off by saying, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded us? What's, what's, what's the meaning of all this? Like, why do we have it on our doorpost? Why are you always talking about this? And, and then it goes into explaining that they were supposed to explain what God had done for them. They were supposed to pass along the faith. Having it with them, carrying it with them, would be a testimony to the next generation. And that is what part of the reason why we bring our Bible. We want our kids to see that this is part of what we're passing along. This is the center of our faith and doctrine. And let me tell you, unfortunately, we're not scoring too well ourselves here. I, I've, I've helped out a number of times in, um, you know, in, in Sunday school, and I think it's about 10% bring a Bible of the kids. And, um, you know, probably same rate as, as normal, you know, for people coming here. But I, I gave them a challenge. I said, I'll give you a gift card. I'll, give, I'll put your name in a hat for a gift card if you bring your Bible while I'm teaching. And another 10% um, participated. But so many were out of the habit, or they just don't see us, you know, bring a Bible. So they, they really just don't see the purpose, right, the value in it. Um, but when it, set, you know, when it sets a good example, we should do it, right? We, we, should, we should practice what we preach. The, the, the second reason, and I said it before, you know, it is not very distracting to look at the Bible. But it is when we're on an app and you remember about a meeting that you have tomorrow, you know, or you're checking your fantasy football scores and nodding to me like you're really, you know, following me. I've seen it before. <laughs> But no, the Bible will not distract you, and you will be able to you know, follow along and, and stick with us. And another benefit is, is this is the one that's really interesting. You know, when you look at your phone, you can have a reverence for the technology that, you know, of, of somebody that created such a wonderful device, and they are great devices. But when we look at this, we can, we can look with a reverence and awe at the creator of the words that were given to us, right? I mean, when you look at your Bible, you can see that this is the sum total. These are the words that God imparted to us, the ones that he thought in his infinite wisdom were important enough to provide to us. And, and like Paul, it gives us this reverence for, for who he is, to know that this is only a fraction and we can never plumb the depth of it, right? In Romans 11, 33 through 34, Paul says, Oh, the depth 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. It's a reverence for the Lord. When When we bring our Bible, when we look at it, when we're in it, it gives us a holy reverence for the word of God. And, you know, similar to Paul, Ezra was the same way. You know, what happens in verse 8, 6, Ezra praised the Lord. So he's kicking off this Bible reading worship. And he says, he's praising the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were just struck by awe of how great God is. And they were getting their hearts ready for worshiping him and hearing his word. And that's important for each one of us. I know if you're like me, you rush in here. Now, I used to, when my wife worked in ministry and I was in the business world, I had the lovely job of bringing three kids in various classes to get them in their, you know, butts and seats and everything before, you know, the service started. And I really didn't know if the church we were going to actually had music because I never would get there in time. So it's so hard to, you know, kind of put all that, you know, the arguments, the, the, you know, the fighting between the kids in the backseat, all that stuff, and to get your heart in a reverent mood, like to, to think, wow, we are going to open the very words of the God of this universe, our creator. That's an exciting thing. You know, and we take it for granted. And, and that's not what they did there. And, and, you know, that's why we start with worship and prayer and why we, we try to, you know, enter in to worship together because we need to get to a place in a heart of worship. And it's not, hear me out, this is not the book I'm going to worship. It's, it's, I'm represent, this is a representation of the words that God gave me. It's the, it's the representation of the authority that he placed over our lives. And we worship him and his words because they are true. And that is what the people uh, of Nehemiah's day did as Ezra uh, you know, provided them with the very words of God. So the next part is, and I want to kind of connect this, you know, we focus and center on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I told you before, it, you know, it begins with a reverence. And I, I believe truly, if, you, if you're not carrying your Bible more often, I think it's an opportunity. Take the, take the challenge. You know, I think it's an opportunity to show um, your, your reverence or your respect for the Word of God. I think it'll remind you more to read it. It'll remind you, you know, of what it means in your life. And and I think that is a lot easier uh, to see and to feel when you are carrying it with you. And so the very next thing, you know, and and, and when I think back, you know, to all the lessons I've learned, how many of you, you know, had a parent that was, you know, in the word, uh, you know, every day, right? You know, and and how many of you learned that through example? I, I learned the value of that because I physically saw my parents in the word. I saw them every single day, both of them. They never missed a day. 
And, and I hope, hopefully like you, that my kids think of me that way one day, right? You know, and I think that's important. And it all leads to a proper understanding. And that's where it really gets important. You know, you have to have a proper understanding of God's word because it leads to a proper obedience and application, as we're going to see next week. But let's read Nehemiah 8, uh, verses 7 through 8. And so it says, the Levites, and, and he lists out the 13 men, you know, with various interesting names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So, you know, in these verses, we see that Ezra needed help, obviously. He actually had 13 men uh, standing up there, various leaders on that platform with him while he was up there, you know, as a, as a sign of solidarity, you know, and, 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 and respect and reverence for, for the process and, God, and reading God's word. But he also had these, these Levites out among the people, right? They were out on the ground. They were boots on the ground. And they were out there making sure the people were hearing what was read. They were kind of grouping people together, um, you know, relaying the message, making sure everything was understood and everyone could follow along. And then it says that they made clear what was being said. And that, that phrase, made clear, is actually translate. They were translating the words of God to the people. And let me explain. You know, you have, you have these years of captivity in Babylon, right? And the, and the Bible, the Old Testament that they were reading was in the Hebrew language. But these people who had been for years in Babylon no longer knew how to speak or read Hebrew. They, they, they were illiterate to some extent in how to hear and read the word. And so Ezra would read it out in its original, and the, the, the Levites would translate and communicate that. No wonder it was six hours a day every morning. You know, it, that's a lot of, of work. It's like, have, have any of you been to a foreign country where somebody's like translating as you go? And I mean, it's a lot of work. It, it slows, slows down the process when you're, when you're preaching and teaching. But they were making clear the word of God. And we know from the book of Daniel you know, good old King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he, he pulls all these captives, takes these prisoners, and his assimilation strategy, his brainwashing strategy, is to, to indoctrinate them with the language, the culture, you know, the, the very words of the Chaldeans. So he, he, was, he was brainwashing them, and it worked. You know, here we are years later, and many of them didn't speak, uh, you know, the Hebrew language. And so they were translating it from one uh, language to another and making sure people understood the meaning. And today, we're the benefactors of work like that. Hard work, right? Translation work. It's why we have a ton, a ton of translations in the English language. It's, it's, it's a really an awesome thing to see. And I have a slide here. I mean, th these are just the highlighted ones, the ones that most people know. There's tons beyond that. There's a, there's a whole, I could go on for about six hours if you'd like, um, afterwards, <laughs> on the history of the Bible. And if you have never studied how you got that Bible in your hands or on your device, if you've never studied that, please do that. Go to an apologetics course or look it up yourself. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. 
you know, what we have in our hands, the accuracy rate, something close to 99.98 or whatever percent to the original, and even the variances are just, you know, minor. It's amazing. You must understand that. It will give you a high level of respect and honor and, and trust for what we read as truth. You must do that. But we have so many translations that I'm sure it's not always easy for people to understand. Most newer Christians or younger Christians go, well, which one do I pick? You know, that one? or It looks green, blue, I don't know. Are they color coordinated by if they're good or bad? Well, let me help you a little bit. Let me help you a little bit. The ones on the left are uh, more literal translations, okay? The, the main, you know, ones that we see are the NASB, the ESV, King James, New King James. Those are the ones that are more literal translations. So the, the point that the, those translators did, and each translation, so you, so you know, every translation we have is to some extent an interpretation of the original. I mean, the only the originals are without error. The ones that the you know, people specifically wrote many, many years ago and are not in distribution. So those are without error. Now, what we have in our, you know, in our hands are very, very accurate, but it, there's a little bit of interpretation that goes on behind translation. And the ones on the left, as I said, very literal translations, they're trying to give you like word for word what, you know, the Hebrew word is. Let's try to get the best word in English. And so you're going to get a very literal approach. But that can be a little confusing for people who are newer beginners. Um, you know, and, and specifically, the King James itself is, is very difficult for some people. I, me I used to memorize that, you know, when I was a kid. That was the only Bible we memorized. But um, many of these, all those translations, 100%, they're, they're great, the ones I have up there on the, on the left. Um, the ones in the middle, the NIV and the NLT, they're more thought-for-thought thought translations. They're trying to give you the meaning of the, of the, of the text in the modern vernacular as common, you know, common language, like, what, what does this really mean, like, so that, you know, most people, and, and especially, like, for, for some younger children or newer believers, NIV, NLT, or, you know, or a reader's edition, great, you know, it gives you a, a lot of, you know, good thought-for-thought thought information, but it, it is less accurate, it's less accurate to the original, um, but regardless, I would say, you know, when I go to study the Bible or a passage, especially a section you know, I, I, I will read like three or four different translations, and it's really interesting. You start to see the, the kind of the nuances come out. Um, the ones all the way on the right um, are aptly, you know, in red, I think, is, is they're called paraphrases, like the message. I don't know if anyone's heard that one. Um, they're not actually translations, so handle those with care. Uh, in caution, to be honest with you. Handle those with extreme caution because they are interpreted by the author and, and there is definitely a bent towards the author's view, okay? So whatever their theological beliefs are, they're going to show you those in the, their paraphrase. Whereas, you know, the, the ones, as I mentioned, more, you know, farther to the left you know, are just translating what you see is what you get. And so that's very important. I think it's really important to always, uh, you know, have a Bible um, in like NIV, uh, NLT, and, and, and the English Standard Version are, are great translations. But the most important thing 
You know, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not be, need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's the real important thing here. We need to correctly handle the word of truth. We need to make sure that how we're studying the Bible is done with integrity and respect and we're correctly handling it, revering it for what it is. Then the last thing it says is that the Levites gave the meaning of what was being read. So now here, they went beyond translation. They're giving the meaning. And that, that's a lot of the work of a, of a pastor, a teacher. We're trying to give you the meaning when we're teaching. What, what's, the, what's the meaning? What's the context? And when I say meaning, you know, just like then, the original meaning. You know, when this, when this Bible was written, it was written with, from an author, a human author, by the Holy Spirit's power, to a human audience. And that is what the meaning was. The meaning that was conveyed at that time. That is what, when we talk about in Bible study, that's the true meaning of a scriptural passage. And just the same thing, what, what these Levites were doing, right, is they were helping to bridge the cultural gap between, you know, you have a bunch of people here that were under um, the Babylonian control, right? They were, they were captives. They grew up in this, this kind of lifestyle there. And right before, actually, the Persians took over, so a lot of Persian influence. So there's their culture. And then you have the book of, of Deuteronomy, for example, that was written to a, a bunch of nomadic Israelites who are ready to conquer the promised land. That's a different context. That's a different culture, even from their own people. And so they had to understand what the true context was. They needed to understand the true meaning because interpreting or understanding and applying the Bible is never about what you want to believe it is, right? And it's not about what you think it is or what you feel about it. There is a meaning in, in Scripture, and we're to a, approach Scripture with integrity and find that meaning before we apply. Because think about this. You know, there's these, these uh, you know, bridges that we... That, and, and when I was studying, you know, in school, it talks about these bridges that we, that we have to cross in interpreting the Bible. And, and for us today, we cross a bridge of a different language. We cross a bridge of thousands of years of technological changes, right? Completely different culture. We're crossing a bridge so that we don't just pick this up and read it like an American male in his mid-40s, right? So, you know, we have to come back to what is the word really saying? And that takes a little bit of work. It absolutely does. And the Bible absolutely is for everyone, and everyone should be able to study it, no doubt. But we don't just pick it up, choose a verse, and run off. You have to understand it. It takes hard work. So the question for you is, are you prepared for that work? Do you know how to correctly interpret Scripture and gain a good understanding of it? Because that's really, you know, part of, the, of, of, of our discipleship process. And I'm not the one telling you you have to do that. <laughs> that's one of the things that God intended for every single believer. It really is. And, and unfortunately, though, and I mentioned this before last week, even though we have 
I'll tell you, the technology we have today, you know, we can go in and look at like pictures of recreations of, you know, Solomon's temple and find the ruins of, you know, such and such a place. And we, can, we have all this information. We have so much context to what we read. It's amazing. You have logos, you have cross-references. You could, you could, you know, go blind with all the information that could help you be an awesome Bible student. But it's overwhelming, right? And unfortunately, I think we've seen that generation to generation, we're becoming more biblically illiterate. How is that possible? More information, more illiterate. That, that doesn't make sense unless you look at our culture. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a indication of where we are today. Our culture is the same way, right? You know, we're dumbing everything down. Even though there's so much technology and knowledge, we dumb things down. I've seen this with my kids in school. I'm like shocked. And we have a good school district. Don't get me wrong. But I, th- you know, this is a long time coming. They've dumbed it down. They've lowered the bar. Anyone, I mean, they, they're trying to make sure everyone can pass. Everyone can you know, everyone gets an A, you know, and I, I'm surprised at how little work my kids do in school and how hard it is. Now, I don't, that's, not, that's not my point of this. I'm just saying that we're getting to a place where we expect less and less of everyone, and that happens in the, in the church as well, right? We, we, you know, maybe we want everyone to succeed, and, and that's all, those are great, you know, but we're dumbing it down, and, and people aren't getting fed. And, and there's, I remember, there's this, this story of this farmer. You know, he's trying to cut down costs, and I can understand that. Everybody's always looking to cut costs. So he starts supplementing the feed for his mules with sawdust. A little bit at a time, you know, he's cutting down the price. And lo and behold, you know, he just wants them to be fed and feel, hung, you know, feel full. Lo and behold, they all died because he kept going. And kept supplementing until there was too much sawdust and they weren't getting enough nourishment. And they died. And that's what's happening, you know, in churches. Everybody's getting starved. You know, we're meant to be on a balanced diet of solid spiritual food. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, it says, We have much to tell you about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer understand, try to understand. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk. And, and that's, the, that's the important thing. They weren't ready for solid food because they weren't even trying to understand it anymore. They should have been disciples making disciples, but they were still immature. And they, they were all meant to grow. And I said it before, it's a daunting task, though, to try to tackle the Word of God at times. So if you're not feeling confident in that, I have good news for you. We, we actually, you know, and I want to show you on this next slide, we are launching, as we've talked about before, the Grace Discipleship Academy, and that's the purpose of it. We want every one of you to be biblically literate. We want each of you to know where to go, where to find answers, what is the whole story of the Bible. You know, there's, these are things that every single believer needs to know and wants to know. You, you, it, you will grow in your understanding. You will grow in your testimony to others, and you will be a disciple who knows how to make disciples. 
And on this next slide, I wanted to show you, you know, on our website, you can sign up. We also are going to have some, some of the teachers out in the lobby. We have about 40 spots available for the first round, and we're going to keep going at this. Um, but there's about 10 courses. Um, each of them will be offered during the second service uh, for about four to six weeks each. And they're going to hit every, you know, every one of those topics um, that we've come up with. And, you know, really, we're going we're gonna to try to try this out on the first round so 40 people can sign up. So you don't want to miss that. So I, 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 I really want to challenge you. You know, when it, when it comes to, you know, revering the word, understanding the word, that's at the heart of everything we do as disciples. And that's what we're about here. So I hope you heard loud and clear. I mean, the two challenges, you know, one, bring your Bible with you wherever you go. I really promise you it will make an impact on your life and people around you. But the other thing is really consider, you know, can you get into the Word more with others? Get into the uh, Grace Discipleship Academy. And, and if this first class doesn't work, that's fine. We're going to be offering these courses. You can jump in at any point in time. You can sign up. Um, and we're going to keep at it. We're going to keep doing it um, because we care that much about help, helping you get into the Word. So today, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to take communion together. And, and what's interesting, the connection to everything we just said, when we celebrate communion, it's about reverence and understanding, right? It's about reverence and understanding for God's Word for about what he did and, and who he is. And it's a time that we can take. It's not a meaningless ceremony. It's not a meaningless sacrament that we do and, and forget about. There is meaning underneath what we do here. We're taking time to remember, revere, and respect our Lord and God coming down in the flesh as our Savior, dying on a cross for our sins doing what only he could do and offering us the free gift of salvation. And as we're going to take communion today, I want to really encourage you that communion is for those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior. And it's for those of us who are in a right relationship with our Lord. Right? We don't want to come to the table with uh, you know, unconfessed sin or in an unworthy manner. So after I, I uh, invite you to the table, you're going to come up and, and get the bread and the cup, and you're going to return to your seat. We're going to take communion together, but I want you to spend a little time um, in your seats confessing any unconfessed sin, praying to the Lord, and getting your heart right with Him. And then we're going to come back together and we can take communion together. So if you'd like at this time, you can come up to one of the four tables in the front. be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. We'll start with the bread. In verse 23, Paul said, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, he said, 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it. Lord God, thank you for who you are, our Father, our great God in heaven, our merciful Savior. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate and revere what you've done for us, to honor you here as we take communion together, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and his salvation. You so freely offer us that. We pray this in your most precious name. Amen.